Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Got to walk the dogs, school drop off, meetings from 10 to 3, take kids to soccer practice, then there goes the extra time for a jog. <sighs> That's okay. Maybe next week. When everyone else relies on you, it's easy to put your needs last. Therapy is a dedicated time to focus on what you need to be happy. So you can show up for yourself the way you do for others. BetterHelp offers convenient online therapy on your schedule. It's the same professional service you'd get from an in-person therapist, but with the option to communicate when and how you want by chat, phone, or video call. Go to their site and fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com. Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast.
squad and welcome to Ranks FC. It's your favourite football podcast back for another week. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host today as we take a look at five of the most compelling cases for the Premier League manager of the season. It's been a relatively competitive field this year, I would probably argue. I'm joined today by the rank god, Mr Sam Tai. How are you doing, mate? Very well, mate. Yes, I'm looking forward to the main topic and you're right, it's been a competitive field. I think... I think there are nine managers who have been absolutely superb this season. Nine. Usually there's like the other, two. The other 11 got sacked. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. It literally is the case. Uh, so looking forward to getting into that later and presumably upsetting a few people. Oh, yeah, of course. Of course. Uh, and of course, our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. How are you doing, mate? Not too good, mate. Um, my microphone snapped, hasn't it? So usually I have this nicely just set uh, on the old ironing board, as we know, I, I sit here in the lounge now these days with, with the ironing board set up with the laptop on it and the microphone sits nicely next to it. I can sit nice and comfortably. Well, yesterday, just before the Patreon show, the mic snapped off the stand. It's irreparable. I've got to find a fix for this. Well, I haven't. You've got to find a fix for this um, because I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to be a very uh, happy pundit holding this all the time. It's a road mic and they're really heavy. They're really heavy. Yeah. Uh, I feel yeah. like a commentator sat here too. I feel like I'm like yeah. yeah, Sam Matterface or something with this right next to me. Um, so, yeah, this isn't ideal. Mm. Does it sound well, all right? Professional. Yeah, sounds fine. Brilliant. Professional as ever on Ranks FC. It's really, it's really what we kind of go by. Uh, before we get into that managerial debate, though, I think it's probably time to do some things we love. And lads, I'm going to start us off this week mm. to make a change, to fix things up because... Borussia Dortmund are one win away from their first Bundesliga title. Or oh, one mistake away from missing years. <laughs> no, <laughs> one mistake away. No, no, no. Positive. Be positive. Be positive. positive. Sorry, Energy. sorry, sorry. Delete, delete. Well, I, th I think this is it. We talked about us being professional there. Borussia Dortmund put in a, a, a professional performance at the weekend. And for a while, it didn't look like this was going to break. And then Augsburg went down to 10 men. And it felt like it was going to break even less at that point. It was like, oh, no, 10 men behind the ball, away at Augsburg. Obviously, a Bavarian club who have a sort of strange relationship with Bayern Munich in the, in the way that the two interact. And I was like, oh, no, if Borussia Dortmund's hopes crash and burn in Bavaria once again in terms of the Bundesliga title, I think everyone will be in absolute hysterics. And obviously, this was following on. Bayern played the day before. They lost 3-1 to Leipzig. And suddenly it was like, oh, wow, it's, it's really opened up here for Borussia Dortmund. How are they going to mess it up this time? And they didn't. They didn't mess it up on this weekend. Now, this isn't over. Let's just make that clear. The title is not draped in yellow and black ribbons just yet. But Borussia Dortmund know that a win on the final day at home against Mainz in the Jurgen Klopp derby will actually lead them to their first Bundesliga title since Jurgen Klopp was at the helm. Uh, these are two clubs that sing you'll never walk alone. Here, two clubs managed by Jurgen Klopp. There's a lot in common here between the, these two sides. And Borussia Dortmund have an opportunity to, to rewrite the wrongs of, of previous years. And look, there's so much to love about this, right? It's not just the fact that Bayern have had a 10 streak of winning the title. That's, you know, one thing and something we can look at. And we've always talked on this show about the fact that when teams dominate leagues for long periods of time, it can start to get a little bit repetitive and it definitely can start to get a little bit uncompetitive, you'd imagine, in the way that things look. But I think more than that, the story of Sebastian Allaire, who started the season 
you know, as as the kind of big sign, the big focal point signing for, for Dortmund, and then was diagnosed with cancer, has come back and, and finds himself in red hot form. He scored the first two goals of this game. If he comes back and the story is him leading Borussia Dortmund to a title after what he's gone through this season. And kind of, it was referenced, Sam, and now you mentioned this on the Patreon show, by Edin Terzic, who uh, apparently is my doppelganger, which is quite quite an interesting one that we've <laughs> learned this weekend from Twitter. Um, that, you know, he came out and he had Daniel Marlin, he had Adiemi on either side of Sebastian Allaire. And in the post-match interview, he was asked about it. He said, is this what it was meant to look like? He was like, yeah, this is what this team was supposed to be like. And I just really liked the candid kind of nature. And he was like, look, it's nobody's fault. Things happen. Things happen in football, injuries, etc. And, and obviously what's happened to Allaire is far more serious than kind of your standard hamstring pull. But when you kind of look at it in, in the grander context of what this is and what this season means and the fact that Bayern panicked and changed managers under Nagelsmann and, and, and brought in Thomas Tuchel to kind of see them over the line here, everything kind of just looks like Bayern would have the, I don't know, the kind of wherewithal, I suppose, to pull the strings to make sure that they win this title again. And Borussia Dortmund are one win away from breaking that streak. And, and as I said on Monday, the idea of Borussia Dortmund and SSC Napoli winning the Bundesliga and Serie A titles in the same year is like a football hipster's dream, isn't it? So uh, I am, as you can imagine, incredibly happy. Yeah, I mean, look, the, the, the good stories, the feel-good stories, they don't just stop at Allaire either, do they? Um, it's, it's, this is awesome for Terzic, who spent a long time serving at Dortmund as a coach and an assistant manager. He's, 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 a, bit, he's a bit Dortmund through and through, isn't he, Edin Terzic? Yeah, he, um, was a, he was a fan. He's a picture of him at the 2012 Cup final in just in the stand yeah. in full yellow and black. So that's awesome. Uh, Marco Royce is on the verge of his first ever Bundesliga title. Uh, which is absurd, nice. absolutely absurd to say, but this this could be his first Bundesliga title. He's yeah, he's won the Pokal uh, and a few things, but never this. And he's been waiting for this for a long time. Mats Hummels obviously returned to the club a couple of years ago. Uh, he was he was part of the team under Klopp that won the title last with Dortmund. And although he hasn't been a key player throughout the season, he has emerged very late on. And has played a massive role of late in seeing them over the line. I'm sure you all saw Schlotterbeck on the bench for this must-win game against Augsburg and, and Hummels stepping in. Sula and Schlotterbeck have been in, in and out a little bit for injuries. And being able to just call upon Mats Hummels, you know, in these kind of scenarios, absolutely amazing. And other stuff, I, the list goes on, like Raf Guerrero potentially signing out in style, all this stuff. It's very nice. Dude, Bellingham potentially signing out in style, Bellingham. right? Potentially signing out in style. I mean, and they they achieved this weekend, you know, 3-0 win against Augsburg without Bellingham. He was injured. He couldn't play. He says he hopes to be fit for the final day. God, I hope he's fit. Please don't mess his up, Dortmund. He has to be, doesn't he? That was, what I find most impressive about Dortmund's run is it's it's seven games unbeaten now, the stretch that's got them to this point. And that came on the back of like back-to-back defeats that were supposed to shatter them. And usually would have shattered them. So if you think back, they played um, that game against Bayern Munich, were beaten 4-2. Um, That's on the 1st of April. And then four days later, they were beaten uh, in the cup quarterfinals to Leipzig. They, they were done 2-0 there. And usually that would have done for Dortmund. Their, their bodies and their minds would have been absolutely shattered, broken. And they just said, see you next season. We can't handle this. We're off to hide for a few weeks. And they didn't at all. They bounced back, beat Union Berlin and, and never really looked back from that moment. And here they are sat on the verge of a moment that it's going to be emotional, isn't it? Like, can you imagine like what this is actually going to be like? Um, 
against Mines at home as well. Like this is the scenes that you're going to be seeing here if they manage to do this is going to be incredible. We're actually in for a bonus as well, lads, because this, the final day of Bundesliga season, is going to be live on TV in England. So um, the timing of this uh, means that there is a gap in the window. It doesn't clash with any Premier League football and they're going to be putting it on live um, on Sky. So it's great. We're actually going to see it. We, you know, scrapping around, see if we can find a stream somewhere and have yeah. all this buffering nonsense. We're actually going to have a clear view of all this unravelling. Indeed. Indeed we are. Well, fingers crossed that Dortmund get this one over the line. It will break the bag after three seasons. Um, but you know what? If the take bag it. was going to break for anyone, I would take it. If BVB break the bag is what I would like to be tweeting at 4pm Saturday. <laughs> is that it? Gone so, forever? Uh, that would be it. Well, there's no point having a bag with holes in it, is no, there? No. I've always said this. You know, the bag only exists as long as the bag is able to carry things. It has brought 14 championships home, in two, seven each in the last two seasons. It's going to bring six championships home this season. Turns out that the 21st, well, the 21st title was the one that broke the bag. Mm. So uh, turns out it couldn't, couldn't carry more than 20. Wow. But it's had a good run. You never know. And I'm, you you know, never I know. Hope, you never know. But I hope that this is the end of the bag. I hope that it, it, comes, to, it comes to its conclusion. And I hope that it's Dortmund who break the bag. That's, uh, that's all, we can, all we can really ask for in this life. Yeah. Right, Dean, what have you got for me? Yeah, look, there's a lot going on in English football at the moment. Obviously, we've got an unbelievable relegation scrap that's going down to the final day. We've got still tussles for positions um, in the European places. But um, there's a team that have had a bad season, generally, who are now heading into a European Cup final, and that's West Ham. And look, I, I'd be lying if I said I would like love West Ham. I don't love West Ham. But what I did love was the celebrations as West Ham made it through to the Europa Conference final um, after their win on Thursday, sent them through and set up a final against Fiorentina. It was unbelievable, wasn't it? Like the scenes that we were seeing, both in the stands, on the pitch and in the dressing room mostly. Like I was just watching the videos in the, in the dressing room. Mark Noble has set a new bar for sporting directors. Sporting <laughs> directors are supposed to be boring people we, we read about but don't actually see or certainly don't see doing anything interesting. Mark Noble standing there with a case of Heineken, handing out the beers. The spread <laughs> is already on. It's like this huge buffet spread for the lads. Everyone's chanting around him. Everyone's spraying their beers and everything else. Um, they're chanting, Bowen's on fire. They're chanting, West Ham are massive everywhere we go. Honestly, it's it really is what football's all about. And I was watching it and I'm just thinking, why don't people take cup competitions more seriously? Because look what this has done for West Ham season. Like, Europa Conference League has completely transformed how they'll look back on this season for the fans and the players. This has been a bad campaign generally for West Ham. 70% of it basically rubbish like they were more in, i'd say maybe more i mean depends, yeah but it's just been this european campaign that's given them the uplift one i think to like turn around their their form that had them headed for the relegation places but two to actually give them the motivation to go on and achieve something that will go down in the club's history and even david moyes standing there you know arms in the air chanting um, yeah, he was even giving it the West Ham a massive everywhere we go. And I was like, do you know what? 
have this moment, David Moyes. Like you've been through the ringer this season. Your job's been on the line at least three times. You're still standing there. You're leading your team into a European Cup final. It looks a lot of fun in that room, and I kind of wish the first time ever that I was a West Ham fan. Um, just for that, just for that one moment alone. Look, obviously there was other nonsense that went on too, like the the West Ham fan that's had to take on all the AZ Alkmaar. Um, hooligans that, that are ready to, to start trouble after the game like that was absolute chaos fair play to him for standing up uh, for his club and literally fighting for his club in that moment he's Nolsey. now a hero Nolsey yeah I mean absolutely like he's getting player of the season I think it's him on Dexter <laughs> Rice I'm not sure he's getting it yet but, I had a um, friend in that section did you? Uh, yeah he had, to, he had to scrabble scrabble backwards basically and Don't try to stay out of it as well um, I think he was far enough. It was always far enough away, so it wasn't a problem. But I asked him about it later, and he told me that um, the, the the stadium staff were so concerned about what was happening um, that he was in like that was like the friends and family bit, um, yeah. and like UEFA guests and stuff. And they were so worried about what was happening that they actually opened up corporate hospitality and just let a flood of people into co- corporate hospitality yeah. and then shut the doors just yeah. to keep them safe. So my friend actually ended up in corporate hospitality. He had a wicked time. <laughs> Things we love. <laughs> talking about people, it's like a cat. It's just landed on his feet, isn't it? Yeah, unbelievable. <laughs> that is very, very funny. Um, Okie dokie. Right, Sam, with that, I think we should move on to your thing we love. Congratulations to West Ham there. Congratulations to West Ham. Um, so we started the show talking about a team in Germany who, should they win their final remaining game of the season at home in front of their home adoring fans, they will win the title. We have an exactly similar situation over in Spain, my friends. It is Granada, the mighty Granada, the boys, the Nazareth's top of the Segunda with one game to play. I reckon play. the scenes will be quite similar, actually. Very similar. <laughs> very similar. You reckon? Very, very similar um, atmosphere, stadiums, passionate fans, you know, all, all that stuff. Um, yeah, Granada's top, top of the Segunda with one game to go. Um we beat Mirandes uh, last weekend, 3-1 away from home. My boy, my favourite player, Carlos Never stepping up with a couple of assists. Um, also played against 10 men, by the way. They're, actually, the parallels are remarkable. Um, 3-1 versus 3-0 against 10 men, and now a home home game to win it. Um, a, draw will, a draw will see promotion, but a win will guarantee the title. Granada will win the title if they can beat Leganes at home at the weekend and Granada are unbeaten at home for the entire season. They have not lost a game at home. So please, in the vein of Dortmund. Sounds Granada-ish to me. Jesus. I mean, for for all that is well and all that is holy and all that is good, can we just behave ourselves this weekend? This applies to Dortmund. This applies to Granada. But obviously everyone's getting super excited. I'm expecting a win. Leganes are, you know, bottom half the table, drifting, nothing going on. Surely, surely we see this home. Uh, the club have already had to put out a little warning to say that the resale of tickets is illegal because you go on the resale sites and people are selling uh, Granada's tickets for 200 euros to be there as part of what people assume is going to be a party, a procession. Granada tickets do not go for 200 euros, lads. This is a very, <laughs> very different and special situation. What do they normally um, go for? Oh, I think you could just get them for free. <laughs> <laughs> they pay you um, to go, don't they? I mean, I mean, oh, geez, back when it's yeah, it's not two hundred. I think we're I think we're talking about su- southern Spain in the second division. We're talking twenty five to thirty in euros. June. Yeah, yeah, okay. we're not <laughs> we're not talking about two hundred euro game here. But 
you know, people are excited. It's been a really good season. Obviously relegated like in a heartbreaking fashion. Final day of last season. Us, we were together when it happened. We were walking through a forest in Portugal. Jack was leading us off a cliff. Yeah. And I had somehow, Dean, found a uh, an internet connection. Incredible. And I watched, uh, like you, had yeah. such a good, you had such a good feed of that game, considering where we were. I know. I watched... Um, I watched Molina put a penalty wide, us draw nil-nil and us go down. And it was absolutely heartbreaking. But if all goes to plan this weekend, we will have our revenge in this life, not the next. <laughs> this life, not the next. That is it. That is it. Well, good luck to Granada as well. I'd say it feels like we're just doing good lucks to everybody in the oh, things we love this week. Um, yeah. I would like to extend my point that I will I will be cheering for Fiorentina in that Europa Conference League final. No yeah. disrespect Fair to enough. West Ham. Well, look, look, you ranked West Ham well down, didn't you, to win it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they were my they were my wild card. Yeah, we put them, put them <laughs> quite low down. To be fair, Dean, you corrected us on that. You might be right. Um, yeah, look, this weekend, um, two thirty p.m. in the UK. You got you got Dortmund and the climax of the Bundesliga. Four forty-five p.m. playoff final: Coventry City against Luton. Eight p.m. Granada against Leganes, and then the following day, mid after late afternoon, the Premier League climax. It's going to be a hell of a weekend, boys. Lovely big weekend. Big, big weekend. All right. We will be looking forward to that one. We will be watching. I think it's probably the easiest way yes. to put things. Right after the break, we're going to be talking about Premier League managers of the season. Stick with us. Got to walk the dogs, school drop-off, meetings from 10 to 3, take kids to soccer practice, then there goes the extra time for a jog. <sighs> That's okay. Maybe next week. When everyone else relies on you, it's easy to put your needs last. Therapy is a dedicated time to focus on what you need to be happy. So you can show up for yourself the way you do for others. BetterHelp offers convenient online therapy on your schedule. It's the same professional service you'd get from an in-person therapist, but with the option to communicate when and how you want. By chat, phone, or video call. Go to their site and fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com. Welcome back to Ranks FC, where it's time for our main ranking. And I'm going to hand over to the rank god, Mr. Sam Ty, to lead us through these Premier League managers of the season. Yeah, I mean, I set out to do this task, thought it would be pretty easy to pick five. No, wasn't easy at all. Uh, I've got nine really impressive candidates, as I hinted at the top of the show, and I'm very nervous presenting this. This is one of those topics that I get very nervous around Dean, because I feel like he's just going to tell me I'm wrong at some point. Um, he doesn't do that very often, uh, mostly because I think my fragile confidence couldn't take it. But this is the kind of scenario where he would step in, but we'll see. Mm. We'll see what team thinks and yourself. Jack, yeah, I haven't got go a set through. five. I haven't got a set five in my mind, but I, I've subconsciously got one. I think that I, I, I know I'm going to react angrily to certain things. <laughs> <laughs> You're predisposed to react angrily. Perfect. You're playing the role of the audience already. Okay. Let's start at number five. And this is where I've decided to put Steve Cooper of Nottingham Forest. They secured survival on mm. Sunday with a win over Arsenal. Appreciate Arsenal a bit burnt out at this point, but winning over Arsenal late on to seal it, brilliant. And sparked some genuinely lovely scenes as well. That celebration was was genuinely really, really nice. 
And it kind of like just brings an end to what has been a really odd and weird campaign. And one that I think was probably harder for Steve Cooper than, than many people will realize. I think at surface level, the idea of being given a, a, a ton of new players, really good players, is sounds great, doesn't it? You'd rather be backed than not. But by my count, they signed 22 first-team players across two windows. That's 22 players you could reasonably expect to play a part in the Premier League and said to Steve Cooper, go on in, mate, make a squad out of this. And this is ridiculously difficult. Like this influx of quality players is great, but how do you manage this many new faces, nationalities, and how do you allow them all to adjust to the toughest league in the world while you fight tooth and nail for every single point? And like Chelsea have had the benefit of not really having to worry about relegate. Like obviously they've ended up marooned in sort of 12th or so, fine. But there was never any jeopardy to them going down, no realistic jeopardy. And they can show you that even buying 100 million pound players, if you add too many and you have too many players and it's not a proper squad, things can go real south real fast. So well done to Steve Cooper for just keeping a lid on it all, getting them all to adjust clawing their way to the amount of points they need. They've got up to 39 now. And well done for keeping the home form strong. They took points off Liverpool, Man City, Brighton, Villa and Arsenal. They lost just five of 19 home games. I think this job may have been a lot more difficult than people realise for Steve Cooper. And he's done an amazing job of just melding it all together and somehow keeping Forrest afloat in what I assume are pretty tough working conditions at times with this ownership group. Yeah, I mean, they've definitely like yeah. had his job on the line at, at times. And I think if you saw the interviews after with the owner, like he was pretty clear about that. Like um, he was certainly looking to take credit himself for even sticking by him. But um, <laughs> I feel like Steve Cooper deserved that. Um, I think it helped that he'd built such a rapport with the fan base over the course of last year when they rose from the depth of the championship to make it up through the playoffs. Um you know they know that that doesn't happen by chance. Like that's taken some some real craft and some guile to to mastermind that. And as you say, you know over the course of his time at Forest, they've had like thirty new players, and to constantly make the right selection um, picks, and then also like improve those players over time. I think that that's what's most credible about this. If if you take I've always found his name hard to pronounce. Taiwo Awonyi, uh, mm. the forward at Nottingham Forest. He, look, there's times when he first joined, he looks a bit rubbish, I'm not going to lie. Like, I, I was like, what? This ain't going to keep him up. But it's like he's, he just hit form right at the right time. And like, when they needed goals, he'd come good just in time. Um And I'd say like Morgan Gibbs-White, you know, a lot was made over his transfer fee when when they signed him. Um, did they overpay? Did they not overpay? And you look back and you're watching that Arsenal game at the weekend and the work rate of him, how good he is on the ball, the decision-making, everything about him. He's a player of the season, basically, isn't he? I mean, I, I think he's been brilliant for them. Like, overall, when you when you step back now and, and look at the overall picture of what Forrest have been able to achieve. So I think that there's loads of little elements here that that come into it. But ultimately... It's Steve Cooper's ability to create unity, um, despite the fact that at the beginning of the season, the team literally didn't know each other and hadn't met each other. And as the season's grown, so has this team. And they're now going to get a second shot at it next season, which is absolutely unbelievable because they've the chances of them staying up 
was so slim. It was so slim. It's so difficult to come up and survive. Yeah, I mean, although all three promoted teams have survived. Yeah, I mean, in the circumstances the of what they had to go but, through, yeah. But within, I think this is it, right? And and you mentioned it briefly there, Sam, but there's there's kind of two elements to this. One is this ownership group. And, you know, for those of you who keep an eye on on things around Europe, Evangelos Maranakis is a, a character, shall we say. Let's just put it in, in those terms. Um, and those of you who have seen what's going on at Olympiakos, he's been there for 13 years, I think. They've won 10 league titles in that time, he has been successful, um, but he has got a bit of a, a penchant for being star of the show, for for throwing vast amounts of money into things, and for that, I suppose, in you know, depending on how you look at football from a Forest fans' perspective, I'd imagine that that much will be they'll be grateful for, you know, that he has invested and and put money into the club and and backed up his his promises, you know, in the transfer windows and backed them up to an extent that I don't think anybody could possibly believe at times, but. You know, on top of that, you look at what's going on at Olympiacos. There was, you know, a game abandoned a couple of weeks back in the Piraeus derby against Ike Athens for, you know, basically him on the touchline kicking balls onto the pitch to dispute a penalty that was given late on to Ike Athens. There have been, you know, re- reports of referees being assaulted in their dressing rooms. It, it's all, it's all pretty mad. Is probably how I would probably put it in in the nicest possible way without trying to be sued for libel um so it's all quite it's all quite like all over the place and i think that when you do that and you have this and then you add that to a squad which has got complete and utter turnover you know i i do i am interested to find out if at any point this year forest fielded an 11 of players that weren't at nottingham forest last year if there was any point that that happened this season because i wouldn't be surprised whatsoever if that was actually the case and you kind of look at all of that and you look at the names that came in and it goes back to Steve Cooper's kind of credentials, I suppose, in a way. And we talked about this right at the start of the season. The fact that he was the manager of an under-21 international team, in this case, England, having to deal with the flow of players going in and out, moving up to the seniors, coming down, you know, that's a difficult task. But it probably put him in quite good stead for having to pull together a disparate group of players. And he's done so and succeeded in what Forrest set out to achieve this year. They've stayed up and you know, major, major credit. Yeah, he's good at cobbling together teams on the fly and then dismantling them and then cobbling something else together that works. He's, he's always been very good at that. This The stakes at which he's done it this year, obviously, different level. Um, one final note on him before we move. I just was also impressed with how he was able to adapt tactically through the season um, because I think Forrest obviously played some really nice football in the championship on their run up into the playoffs and through. And I think they started in a very positive vein and I think at some point in the season, Steve Cooper realised that he this, it just wasn't going to keep them up. And reminiscent of what Dean Smith did at Villa, where for the final 10 lockdown games, he just like, he had to block in and he had to defend a bit deeper. But what Steve Cooper had was outright pace in Brennan Johnson and incredible ball carrying from Morgan Gibbs-White. And then Awanyi to just bustle his way through for a goal. And he just kind of had to be a bit more... Yeah, pragmatic and rudimentary with his tactics, but it's it's recognition of the situation. And it's recognition that sounds obvious, but Jesse Marsh, Brendan Rodgers and a bunch of other people did not understand and did not act upon. And that's why they're not in this conversation at all. The fact they've all been fired. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, then. Shall we we keep rolling, shall we? Okay, so I don't think that too many people are going to get upset with the idea of Steve Cooper receiving flowers, but this might be a bit low for some people. At number four, Eddie Howe. 
Oh. A lot of people talking Eddie Howe up as manager of the season, watching Monday Night Football on Sky, and one of Neville or Carragher had him as their manager of the season. And I can certainly get behind the idea that if you go from 11th to the Champions League, potentially third, probably fourth, that's a hell of a season. And apart from a few wavering moments, they've been a bit of a mean machine. I think they've been a pretty scary team to play against Newcastle. The best defence all season up until very recently where City have crept ahead. One goal allowed better, as in fewer. And Newcastle have played with this intensity and this physicality that has pretty much steamrolled certain teams. Um, I love the belief that they start games with. I love the fact that they attack those first 15 minutes in each half and, and really try to set the tone. And I'm sure everybody tries to do that. But Newcastle seem to actually be able to do it almost every single time. And there is a skill and a talent in that. And that's good management. Um, and they spent the entire season in the top four. Like, the entire thing. Really good consistency. Not the sort of thing you expect from a team leaping up from 11th. Although, again, we will have to caveat it with, they spent some money. They bought some really good players. It's been a bit of a strange narrative where people have tried to say, well, actually, they haven't spent that much money. They have. Like, they've spent $150 million combined on Isak, Botman and Gordon, pretty much. Like, they're spending a lot of money. They have spent it very wisely for the most part, and that has tricked a few people. So I think I'm holding Eddie Howe back a little bit there just because I know what he's working with, but I can't deny that he's been phenomenal this season. He's fostered an amazing group, played with real belief and intensity, and look at them now, celebrating Champions League football confirmed for next year. Awesome. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I think that look, they got to a cup final. That's that's part of this too. Um, that That's a massive achievement for Newcastle. It was the first time they got to a cup final since 1999. Um, and yeah, like to do that from when he took over this club, they were in the bottom three. And that wasn't that long ago. Like to turn, literally turn the table upside down and now be third in the league um, is ridiculous. And look, they've spent money. Yeah, but they haven't spent stupid money they haven't spent to the levels that they're even capable of yet and you know other teams have spent more and spent worse so I think that that's part of this too Eddie Howe has made sure that Newcastle weren't running before they could walk and he's he's got his wish on that so far and and they've made small little upgrades you know Isak obviously is quite a big step but the signings like Bruno Guimaraes and, and players like that are such a good level you look at the what he's managed to get out of Shah out of Elmeron out of Sean Longstaff, like players Murphy. like... Yeah, Murphy. Like there's there's players in here that you don't expect to be well, excelling this high in, in, in the Premier League. So I, I really like that he's been able to do that. I do think that he's going to end up being a victim of his own success is the problem. I, I fear for him in a way that this has gone too well too soon. <laughs> oh, because oh, no. because what, where do you go from here? Like to even... Champions League fi- final? To finish third next season, it's going to take an unbelievable achievement, right? That's going to be that would be so good if they could do that again. Given that everybody's going to reinvest and that you know Man United are going to be back in there and Arsenal will go again and all the rest of it, Liverpool will be back. Um, so he's got to do that again. Plus, had the added pressure and demands of the Champions League, and the board are going to give him extra money to spend this summer and. What what I guess worries me slightly is that the owners want a marquee player to now come in. So you're seeing reports of Neymar, right? 
that is not complete nonsense. Like that is the ownership group thinking, right? Oh, you want you want a wide attacker? What about Neymar? He's like, no, 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 no. I don't want Neymar. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not ready to manage Neymar in this team. Um, but they're going to be like, why not? He's the best one, isn't he? Yeah, but it doesn't fit. Like, it doesn't fit what we're doing. Like, that's that's not. I'm Eddie Howe. I don't want Neymar uh, out on the left flank. Um, so that's that's what I think is going to be interesting. Like, who? What will he end up getting as his his big signing of the summer? And how does he continue to manage his squad of players? He's done it brilliantly so far. Um, but his style of management, obviously, is a very calm guy. He talks very eloquently, and and it works. Like with this group of players, it's been absolutely ideal. Once you get to the next tier of players, it becomes extremely difficult. Look what happened to Graham Potter when he suddenly was managing a team of egos and personalities and, well, it didn't go well, did it? But No, these are all very valid and fair concerns, but they are concerns for They're another all concerns, day. But, yeah, Eddie Howe, for what he's done so far, is brilliant. I mean, I can't argue with him being fourth yet because I don't know who you've got above him. Um, but it does feel low. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree. I mean, I think he's done an exceptional job. I think he's done an exceptional job with a very good group of players, Um, but that's not a given. And I think it's important to remember that sometimes when we're having these discussions, you know, that Mm. plenty of people come into an exceptional group of players and really struggle. And Eddie Howe has managed to just steer this ship through very calm waters i think for most of the season and also i think you've got the double kind of the double-edged sword of newcastle is an amazing football city it's one of the best places i've ever watched football the the whole town comes alive on match day it's absolutely incredible and i love love watching football there but that passion becomes an obsession quite quickly and after an era of such sort of bleakness associated with the club there was always this feel of, you know, a, a renewal of hope and, you know, a spring of, of a kind of new, new Newcastle in many ways. And actually then the expectation, you need to keep it tempered, you know, and, and I think he did that really well. I think he managed the, you know, the fact that they've stayed in the top four all season is a really big point here because if they dropped out of it and then suddenly people have come to expect Champions League football, then I think suddenly you're trying to manage something slightly different in terms of the crowd. And you could feel it, I think, a little bit at the end of the game against... Leicester on Monday night, you know, as soon as it started to turn those last five minutes and they were like, hang on, maybe we should just get the point and secure this and just make sure that, you know, and, and the game started to turn and everyone gets a bit nervy. And even though that Newcastle completely and utterly dominated the game, you know, they failed to score, fine, whatever. It, it, you could just feel it slightly going, oh no, I don't want this crowd getting nervy. And he's managed that all season really well. And I think that's you know a genuine part of being the Newcastle manager. You have to be able to to deal with that level of of expectation and desire, I think, from the you know, it drives the team forward at times. And St. James's Park has been a remarkable place this season. But I also think that there's that element of, oh cool, we've got to we've got to make sure mm. that this is just all under control. And Eddie Howe's done a really good job of doing that. Yeah, I think never too high, never too low is a good summary of Eddie Howe's demeanour as a manager. And it, it really does suit these kind of situations. So, you know, let's Jason let's hope... Tindall, on the other hand. <laughs> <laughs> Jason Tindall, yeah. I mean, he's actually, he's in my top three. So we won't talk about him too much. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I'm glad that you've used a, um, a ship metaphor briefly there because I've actually got a boat analogy to come later. So we're in sync, even though we don't know it. But let's go to number Great. three where uh, I'm going to put Roberto De Zerbi of Brighton, who swooped in and took 
Graham Potter's post in September. And from that point has coached some of the best and most aesthetically pleasing football that this division has offered. And this is a hell of a division for that sort of thing. Um, a, a very like raw metric just to measure it, but it really does surprise me. They've averaged the second most possession in the league, 58% per game on average, which for a non-traditional top six side is pretty crazy. Like that doesn't really happen. And this shows you the level of dominance that they have on the ball and the comfort that they have on the ball. And again, you have to remind yourself the players that he's working with and the journey that they've been on. And then you look at some of the results. It's like they took four points off Liverpool. They battered Chelsea. They battered West Ham. They beat Wolves 6-0. beat Arsenal 3-0 away. Some of the very best single team performances that you can think of this season and some of the best goals, I might add, have come from Brighton. And he's brought, you know, Mitama to the fore. I think McAllister has gone up a level. Well, that might be more to do with Argentina. It's hard to say. But Solly March is like, come on. Like, no one really thought that Solly March was this good, right? Not even Solly March thought he was this good. Mm-hmm. But up until the recent injury, which was a huge shame, absolutely exploded into life. And they've dealt with the fact that Trossard was taken away mid-season, barely skipped a beat. They've hit a cup final or... Dean's kind of reminded Matt reminded me of that, but I didn't really factor that into this discussion for any of the managers. Um, and they've qualified for Europe for the first time in the club's entire history. This is an awesome story, and Deserby has done an amazing job. Mm. Yeah, it's totally there. Yeah. I mean, look, ask me how many points they got against Fulham this year. How many points did they mm. get against Fulham this year? Ah, oh, they got none. No. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Thanks, okay, Mike. he's dropping to fourth. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, look, this is a team that have, have punched above their weight. And, you know, Graham Potter was already doing it. And everyone was like, oh, yeah, what a great job he's doing. And then Graham Potter leaves and is absolutely shown up by, by Deserby, who takes the team to another level and also introduces players like Mitoma into it and uh, properly. And, you know, Mitoma, the levels that he's hit have been, have been unbelievable. Um, so I think that there's, there's that to factor in as well. Um, you know, when there's been moments of need, like, you know, who's going to fill in up front and stuff. There's the emergence of Evan Ferguson and like the fact that this team is so young. I saw a picture the other day of like the 18-year-olds and the 21-year-olds. Like, this team is so young and should not really be capable of doing this so regularly. When they got a battering a few weeks ago, you thought, oh, the wheels might come off here and they might they might really fall away in these last weeks. Nope. Instant repair job, back to business the next game. It's really, really impressive. Um, yeah, as I say, like one of the teams in division with probably the lowest wage bills, I'd say. Like there's there's no major stars in here. There's there's no one that's been signed and been put on 250 grand a week or anything like that. They might be looking for it now, but they're not on it at the moment. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it's been an, an unbelievable job. And for Brighton fans, just absolutely beyond their wildest dreams, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't know if there's much more I can add. He's, he's been remarkable. Um, for me, I think he's too low. I think I'd have him as manager of the year. Uh, I think it, obviously it's a bit difficult with someone who comes in you know, mid-season is probably a bit of a stretch, but you know what I mean. Um, no, he takes over the games. job in the middle of a season. But I do genuinely believe that of all the people who have come in and made a difference, Deserbi's football and the way that he's you know propelled Brighton into this European spot 
and what he's achieved, their fearlessness, like they're, they're just a remarkable team to watch. And I, I think he's been absolutely sensational. He's someone that I've liked for, you know, a while. I liked his stuff in Italy. I liked stuff with Shakhtar, although brief as it was. Um, and then to come back as, you know, in this kind of form and, and, and show people, especially with so many people questioning whether he was capable of doing it. You know, this is, it was a bit of a, not shot in the dark. That probably feels no like a one stretch, reasonable you know, was questioning with it, though, was it? No, no, but like I would suggest that like even there's one thing about you know someone being like, well, I doesn't understand the league. That's that's not what I mean here. What I'm saying is it was still a little bit of a gamble, but still mm. definitely it wasn't a shot in the dark. Of course it wasn't, but it it definitely was like a okay, this is this is someone that they've pulled kind of not out of the blue, but definitely out of left field, and for him to come in and perform like this, I. I I have nothing but applause for Roberto De Zerbi. Yeah, me neither. He's uh, going too well, this ranking. I mean, he's just well, argued with you a little bit there, but you've, no, you've got away with this so far. I haven't got away with anything so far. You've both you've both said that two, certain people are too low. Well, it depends on you going at two. Two, two yeah. I can't really work out. I think I know who's one, but I don't know who's two. Well, number two is Unai Emery at Villa. Oh, that's, who, that's not right. Yeah, that's, that's, here, we so, here we go. So basically, I think I've seen a lot of the... A lot of people say that sort of, a lot of people link Emery and Deserby together in terms of their cases for manager of the year. And they both officially qualified for the shortlist of six and they put on a bit of a parallel, but I don't think that's necessarily fair. Um, and this is where the, uh, the boat analogy comes in. So look forward to this one, but go back to Deserby for a second, because I did find myself trying to compare them as well. And this is where I figured out that they were totally different. Deserby took over Brighton when they were fourth in the league. Uh, 13 points on the board with four wins, one draw and one loss from six games. And yes, obviously, it's, it's tough to lose your manager after six games, especially since he's been doing such a good job. But they were in a good place. Brighton were in a, a good place. There's a, a good squad in a good, confident place. And Deserby deserves his credit for keeping that going and improving them. But Deserby essentially stepped onto a speedboat. And yes, he tweaked the engine a little bit and maybe he installed a NOS button to go a bit faster. But it was already a fine-looking boat, wasn't it? Already a fine-looking boat. Totally ship-shape, working order, no issues, no holes, nothing to plug. Unai Emery stepped onto the sunken carcass of the Titanic, is how I would put it in comparison. Villa were 16th, and they were playing abysmal football. They were in a really bad place. And every single player on the team, without exception, was playing several levels below their expected level. They all looked terrible. And this is not all Steven Gerrard's fault, and it wasn't entire, entirely a disaster. Some people, again, have kind of whitewashed history a bit there and said that the whole thing was terrible. It wasn't all terrible, but by the end, it was absolutely horrendous. And Emery steps in really close to the World Cup break. His first game is a 3-1 win at home to Man United. Puts together a brilliant game plan, inspires the team, and Villa win a game. United at home that they haven't won since 1995. And it's just a bit of a watershed moment for them. And it just changes the trajectory of the season. They go and beat Brighton away. They go and beat Spurs away on New Year's Day. And then they beat Chelsea away, Spurs at home again. They beat Newcastle 3-0 in a game that genuinely could have been six. Um, and they're on a, a six home win streak. And the first five in that streak were all wins to nil. But going into the final day, they're in a position where they need to match Spurs and Brentford's result to secure Europe. And if they just win their last game, in the way that they have done the last six at home, they'll get to Europe. They're going to finish on roughly the same points as Brighton. 
it's not gonna it's not gonna be much between them. Like it's it's gonna be maybe four points, maybe one, I don't know, something like that. And Emery took them from sixteenth from the very depths to do this. Now whether or not they actually make that final step and get to Europe, I don't think it changes the case here because Emery should never really have got them to 58, 59 or 61 points. Never in a million years. This is absolutely absurd, this run. We've all seen the stats. You know, Villa have been the third best teams in terms of points taken since Emery arrived. Second, third only to, to Arsenal and City. Um, I think the rescue job that's happened here and with the potential carrot at the end is absolutely absurd. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think it's an incredible turnaround. I... I like where you're coming from and I like your reasoning. I don't necessarily agree with you, but I can at least see the logic of your argument. And uh, I think that's an important thing to consider in debates like these. <laughs> and I, I, I don't mind it. I'll be honest that I've been quick to praise Emery this season. And I think that some of the results that he's put together, and I think he's a wonderful manager who was given a rough ride at the office by a host of clubs who maybe didn't know quite how what to do with him. Um, but I do think that if Aston Villa and Unai Emery continue as a partnership for some years to come, he will continue to improve this team because I think that he is a little bit of a you know a mastermind. I think he's an elite manager. And I think that if Villa are in Europe next season, there is absolutely no reason that Villa can't go and win the Conference League under Unai Emery. That is as simple as that. Uh, I firmly believe that. Again, we're talking in future parallels here, a bit like we were on Eddie Howe. But the turnaround job that Emery has done from... The absolute mess I witnessed in the flesh mm. at Craven Cottage just before Christmas. And the game that I was like, this team have fully given up. They have absolutely just thrown the towel in. To turn that around so quickly and come out the back of it with, you know, the form that they've shown. I think you look at someone like Ollie Watkins. He's obviously the kind of first name that comes to most people's lips. But to get him into this goal-scoring streak that he's got into... And to understand how to utilize him. There were so many Villa fans, and I've said this before in my mentions in, you know, in January when I was like, I think Watkins will really suit Emery. They were like, we've just sold Ings. No one's going to score any goals. We're actually rubbish. We can't, we can't finish. <laughs> Watkins has just turned up with this second half of the season under Emery. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's an, an absolutely masterful job he's done here at Villa. I mean, okay, so my problem with this is if he's going to make the list, he can be number five. He's definitely not number two. He's not the second best manager in the Premier League this season. There are at least three people I can think of off the top of my head who are more deserving to be in the top five managers in the Premier League this season. And I might as well name them because then you can lead it into who's the actual Well, I can only think of one. <laughs> because Gary O'Neill's done an amazing job and a better job actually in Newman because he had a bigger task on his hand. Like when they were beaten nine nil Bournemouth, and Scott Park is talking like this team's ill-equipped and all the rest of it. You're like, well, I'm not sure you should lose nine nil, but you might have a point because even last season, Bournemouth were coming up and I'd seen them and I was like, that team ain't surviving. And even two months ago, I just said that team's not surviving. And, and Gary O'Neill's done an amazing job, punched way above their weight in these latter stages to stay up. Then there's Mikel Arteta, who was again punched above their weight like everyone's saying Arsenal have bottled the league no they've punched above their weight all season and they've, they've put themselves into a title challenge that they were should never have been in and then there's my number one it would be Pep Guardiola because he's done it again like he's an absolute 
is ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous what Pep Guardiola's managed to do to steer Man City one stage when it looks like they were going off course and that, you know, Haaland suddenly was being talked about as, oh, actually, like, Haaland hasn't fixed this team. He's broken the team. Man City don't know how to play anymore. He's, he's, he's fixed every, he's, he's broken everything that was good about them. They didn't need a number nine. They needed a false nine. All these questions started cropping up. And Guardiola quickly brings everyone around, rallies everybody, and they start to fix their season. And... Well, they haven't just won the title, they're coasted to the title in the end. And they're in, on course, as we're recording this, for a treble. I mean, yes, he's done it with a lot of money. Yes, you could, you know, hold the charges against him and all, all the rest of the stuff. But if you're looking at a pure football um, success rate, to win the title again, I'd still put Pep at number one. So who do you think I've gone for? Um, I think you've gone with Pep. Marco Silva. What's your serious guess, Jack? Uh, I think you've gone for Arteta. Jack is right. I've gone for Mikel Arteta at number one. I mean, you've covered off most of the gaps for me there, Dean. I don't need to. Uh, I don't I've need put to the argument up before it's come about. The... Yeah, I don't. I, <laughs> I mean, look, the way the way I see it is this: this Arsenal team are, are way ahead of schedule. They've uh, achieved above and beyond, and this Arsenal team hitting eighty plus points is pretty ridiculous to me. Um, and 83 goals in 37 games, cluster of players in the team of the season conversation, massive wins, massive comebacks, beautiful football. You know, I don't want to stray too closely into like, you know, oh, don't cry because it, it's over, smile because it happened territory because Arsenal fans don't want to hear this crap. But <laughs> like, they, like they should be really, really proud of their season. And the way I've tried to address this exercise as much as possible is by measuring a manager by the job he's done versus like the resources at his disposal. And I think that Arteta has gone above and beyond with Arsenal. And for them to be at the top of the league for so long was remarkable. For him to do all the things that he's done, I think he's been absolutely incredible. And so that's kind of where I land on it. And I feel bad for Gary O'Neill for leaving this, leaving him out here. I don't feel bad for Pep because I think, first of all, he doesn't care. But secondly, he... I think his team actually really drifted quite badly at times this season. And I wasn't that impressed with City for relatively long spells. They've been the best team in the world for two and a half months. Absolutely outrageous. But I do actually hold the fact that this team drifted against him a little bit in these stakes. Again, it's relative to what you have at your disposal. And I don't care that he's retained the title or anything like that because that's not relevant to the conversation. Gary O'Neill, I don't know how he's done it. And the fact that I don't know how he's done it may have held him back in my ranking. <laughs> I'm still not convinced it's real. Like, I still can't quite figure it out. And maybe that's wrong of me to, to say. Maybe, it's, maybe there's, a, there's a clear method to it. But a lot of the time when I watched this Bournemouth team, they were not good. They were not good. And I was pretty stunned that they managed to pick up the amount of points they did. I did have a quick look at the old FB ref table. Looked at expected goal difference for the season. Bournemouth are bottom. Is there a potential hint that they've got a bit lucky at points? I don't know. I don't know. I didn't watch them every week, but when I did see them, sometimes I thought they were terrible, really terrible. I'm still not sure how they've done it. I don't even know if that's fair to rule him out on those grounds, but that's that's what someone's, someone's got to be left out. And that's, that's where I've gone with it. Yeah. I do I think mean, that like, as in much as I joke that Marcus Silva would be top of this ranking, like, I do think that he has a shout to be within it. I think uh, he's not. He, he could have been so many people so but... many people so many people wrote no i'm not 100 sure he's a top five here either but i'm 
I'm just, I, I think there is a, a fair case to be made that because Fulham started so well, and because Fulham have basically been in the top half of the Premier League for the entire season, it's very easy to forget that a lot of people spent the entire preseason saying, well, this is a team going to get relegated. They've signed Willian. He's not good enough. Mitrovic can't cut in the Premier League. Marco Silva's walked away from every job that he's you know, had any jeopardy in. I think that sometimes it gets a little bit over, you know, I kind of passed by that Fulham have come up and finished 10th. That's, that's a remarkable achievement from everyone involved at the club. And I'm not saying that as a Fulham fan. I'm saying that, that if this was anybody else, I would be falling over myself to make sure they were in the conversation. I'm kind of holding back, I think, a little bit because it's Fulham. And I'm like, I don't want to appear that this is... A bit... if, this was any... if this was Bournemouth, if Bournemouth had come up and finished in yeah. the top 10 and been in the top 10 all season, we would be scrambling to praise them. Yeah, yeah it's a tough yeah. one. It's a tough one to judge because Fulham have been so consistent over the course of the season and that just becomes in itself expected. I think a lot of this list is... It's made up of meeting expectations, exceeding expectations, and then producing turnarounds is really the other category that you've got. And in that moments, list, isn't, isn't it? it? It's moments yeah. and stuff. Yeah. yeah. And again, so if you talk about moments, I'd say, well, Pep Guardiola just beat Real Madrid 4 0. That, again, yeah. for me, would propel him above Mikel Arteta. You're right, but obviously, like this that. is, I'm just, this is Premier League manager. Yeah, season, fair enough. Like, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so again, yeah, so I think that's the other difficulty when it comes to, to choosing a, a manager of the season. It's what are you judging them on? Everybody has got different yeah. expectations for their job and, and their seasons go so wildly, you know, off course at times. And then you, you've got to try and steer it back on to, to save your job. And I mean, you could argue that David Moyes should be in this conversation for how bad <laughs> things were going to how it looks right now. Um, well, yeah, but the thing is it was his fault. It was going so bad. So then you yeah. have to hold that against him in kind. But yeah, I true. wonder if there's a, there's a timing element to this in the same way that you often see that the timing element to the player of the season vote, you know, who catches fire at the right time, and catches the attention when the votes are going in. And I just wonder if subconsciously you're looking at these like late runs and things like that, like Emery's run with Villa, that just kind of, there's no, there's no margin for error with Villa, right? There's been very little margin for error and that's compelling. For Fulham, there's been so much margin for error because he was so good for about 22 games. And, and, it's really hard to marry those two things up. I may have been a bit harsh on Marco Silva. Maybe he wasn't ninth, but I feel like I've been harsh on Marco Silva, Thomas Frank, Pep Guardiola, and Gary O'Neill. I can't yeah. do a top nine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Um, no, I get that. I get that. I, we're just going back to Pep. There, there is something I think to be said for the fact that City kind of do this every year, right? They start. Not badly. Badly is probably the wrong word, but you look at City's losses in the last sort of two seasons, and like two or three of them have come right at the start of every season. A couple of you know dropped points. You look at twenty 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 one. You actually look at one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games. They dropped points in the first fifteen, and then they went on an absolutely ludicrous winning streak. And then yeah, they fell away a little bit at the end, but they'd already won the title by that point. You look at you know these seasons. It happens regularly the pep gets his side into gear and there's a brilliant article on the athletic from friend of this pod mark carey about this at the moment so i would think it's worth your while checking out if you've got some time about how he does this and he gets them into the gear you know into the right gear for the running of every single season and pep's talked about it he's talked about the fact that he's like with the premier league you know you never count yourselves out and we get to the second start of the second half of the season and you you go on a winning run and you're usually there or thereabouts by the end of it I wouldn't say it's part of the plan. I'm sure if Pep could win every game, he would. But 
if if the kind of way of doing this and rotating the squad and making sure that they're in the best physical and tactical condition by the end of every season is to maybe drop a few points at the start of the season while you're working some things out, then it's working for him. And I, I don't know if I'm going to hold that against him for letting the team drift in the first half of the season while he was working out some tactical nuances that have now driven them to a treble. Well, to, to the brink of a treble. Hold up, mate. <laughs> Inter and United fans, they're screaming internally. Um, no, I... Yeah, it's, no, it's, sorry, a, it's a good point. Trouble. It's a good point. It's a fair point. Um, I have held it against him this year because I just feel like they underperformed, but I haven't really put together that they do it every year and it hasn't tended to cost them, although it did once. Um, but yeah, it does feel really strange leaving the man, like the, the Premier League winning manager of the season out of the manager of the season. Who do you think will five? actually win manager of the season? I think... Who votes on it? Is it the public? I don't even know. I mean, I mean Pep will probably I win think, it. I think I think Deserbi will win manager of the season. Yeah. I think he will officially win it. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. maybe. I think Pep will. It's, an, it's a very attractive first story. Ever foray into, Brighton's first ever foray into Europe. The fact that yeah. they've gone toe-to-toe with the big guns and come out, you know, the right side of those scorelines and, you know, a number of occasions. And they're a very fashionable storyline right now. Very fashionable storyline, Brighton. Um, so that will definitely help as well in terms of public interest. But yeah, I'll probably say Pep because they won it. People just go, oh, who won the title? Pep, cool. Yeah, Pep. Yeah, I mean, it is, it is typically uh, how it I've works. I've been wary of that without I've been constructing this. You know, very I wary. Wouldn't have had Pep at, I wouldn't have had Pep at one, but I equally wouldn't have had him at seven. Yeah. So um, Six? The, no, the Manager of the Year award is voted by fellow managers and the winner can come from any of the four professional leagues. That's the LMA award. So... Yeah, other managers. That does make it more interesting, doesn't Kieran it? They, McKe- Kieran McKenna is going to win that. <laughs> they know that the the limitations of what you're working in and all those sorts of nuances that that probably we don't take into account quite so much, even though we try to. Hmm. Yeah, the LMA one will be very interesting this year, but I'd say Deserbi has a very, very good chance. You'd say he deserves that, it. I think. He deserves it. Very good. Very good. I enjoyed that a lot. Right, on that bombshell, I think we should probably call this section to an end. After the break, we've got Mel of the Week and the gibberish rankings. Don't go anywhere. Finding great candidates to hire can be like, well, trying to find a needle in a haystack. Sure, you can post your job to some job board, but then all you can do is hope the right person comes along. Which is why you should try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash post. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. Its powerful technology identifies people with the right experience and actively invites them to apply to your job. You get qualified candidates fast. So while other companies might deliver a lot of hay, ZipRecruiter finds you what you're looking for. The needle in the haystack. See why four out of five employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. And right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free at ZipRecruiter.com slash post. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash post. ZipRecruiter.com slash post. Welcome back to part three of Ranks FC, and it's time for everybody's favorite part of the week. Dean Jones, the floor is yours. It's time for Melon of the Week. This week's Melon of the Week is Nadim Amiri of Bayer Leverkusen. Um, Thanks to Brennan Ross for bringing this one to my attention. Um, Leverkusen were in command over Gladbach at the weekend. They were 2-0 up. 
They made a mistake that let him back into the game at 2-1. And in the last minute of the game, Amiri produces an absolute howler that allows it to go to 2-2. He basically gets the ball on the edge of his own, own box and he like slides it back into the path of his own goalkeeper. The problem is... Hradeki is standing in front of the goalkeeper, minding his own business. I don't even know exactly why he's standing exactly where he is. It doesn't make any sense unless it's an actual goal hanger. But anyway, the Gladbach player's standing there and he's like, what? The ball's coming towards me. Lays it off. Nice, simple layoff. Bang, Stindl sticks it into the back of the net. It's 2-2. It was a crazy moment. Like, Amiri's got his head in his hands, obviously. The goal means that Leverkusen now need a win on the final day of the season to be sure of European football next season, to be sure they get sixth spot. So, look, Amir, I'm sorry, mate. You are an absolute melon. That was one of the worst passes of the season. No doubt about it. It's the kind of thing that it gets you into MLS's Hall of Fame. Like, that's what we've been seeing so far this season. Uh, be careful, mate. Um, or not be careful. MLS is great. If you want to move to MLS, keep going like this. You'll be fit right in. <laughs> Yeah, not great vibes. Not great vibes for Leverkusen. Um, not a great week for Leverkusen full stop, really, was it? So, um, mm. yeah, Nadim Amiri rolling it in there, rolling yeah. it in. Right, we've got a shout-out of the week, Dean. We do have a shout-out of the week, and it comes from Mike Bragg in the USA. So, thank you, Mike. He says we are the champions of podcasts. Jack, Sam and Dean reside comfortably in the pantheon of podcasts. Every Wednesday, step down from Mount Olympus to give us the greatest podcast on earth, on earth, the Ranks FC podcast. Lovely put. I, lo- I like the way he's put it. Um, mm. Yeah, thanks, Beautiful. mate. Poetic. Yeah, we had a few others. Most of them just said, it good. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> <laughs> it good. It is good. It good. So Keep thank your you it good coming in, too. people. We love yeah, it. Thank you, people. We love them. Thank you very much. And thank you to Mike. That's very kind. Very, very kind. Please do get your reviews and ratings in wherever you listen to Ranks FC. It really does help us out. Um, Right. Oh, boy. That is the gibberish alarm. Yeah, there you go. Right in your earphones. Really enjoyed that. Uh, And this week's gibberish is coming courtesy of me, but via Louis Goodwin, who's one of our patrons, because on Monday's post box, he asked, I have no idea why, but this week I've been thinking about all the official club mascots. I would love to hear your thoughts on your favorite mascots. Do you prefer animals or boiler men or others? Top three mascots in world football. Do you want one stirring up the crowd or just being nice and happy? For context, Billy the Badger doesn't count, although he's up there for legacy. Uh, Billy the Badger is the Fulham mascot, uh, and he once was sent off for uh, giving Avram Grant grief after Fulham scored against Chelsea, <laughs> uh, which is why Billy the Badger is uh, is in here. He also, didn't, also got sent off for break dancing on the pitch once. It was a great fun. I met the person who used to play Billy the Badger at Blackpool away. Had a really, really good day with him. So uh, there you go. What was his He's, name? Uh, a bit of a legend around these spots. I can't remember. I absolutely can't Not remember. Billy. Um, his name wasn't Billy. No, I can, I can confirm that. Um, right. Bro- so I've been thinking about this, and this is my, this is my gibberish. Uh, and I'd, I would have liked to put Boiler Man from West Brom in here. But unfortunately, he's not actually officially the club mascot. So he's actually disqualified. He's, um, he's a fraud. It turns out he's yeah. just a, a boiler for their sponsors um, yeah. and therefore is actually not allowed in there. Um, Baggy Bird remains as West Brom's numero uno mascot. And so Boiler Man is just sort of this weird addition 
via some sponsors. Um, so yeah, unfortunately, Boiler Man is not eligible for this ranking. But I will start with one who is, and that's Wigan Athletics' Krusty the Pie. He comes in at number three. <laughs> Wigan is famous for pies. The pies at Wigan's DW are absolutely exceptional. I will say this from personal experience, they are delicious. They are delightful. Uh, and that part of the world, obviously Lancashire, where my girlfriend is from, is a really, really good spot for pies. Um, I like that Wigan dialed into this. I love the fact that they were like, you know what would really make people laugh if we had a gigantic pie with arms as our mascot, stick him in the Wigan colours, stick a Wigan cap on his head um, and let this pie walk around and amuse people. Now, awesome. we're going to have had a relatively tough time of it in, in, in recent years, um, but they can take deep heart in the fact that they have a deep filled pie. At <laughs> their Krusty the pie. It's a good name Krusty as well. Don't overcomplicate it, you know, just call him, call him Krusty. Um, although it does kind of evoke memories of uh, Frosty the Snowman. So who would win in a fight, Krusty the Pie or Frosty the Snowman? That's what I'm thinking right now. Well, I was thinking about mascots that would win in fights. And actually the mascot that I think would win in a fight is Sheffield United's Captain Blade because he has two massive swords. So I nice. think he would win. So that's it. Um, right. At number two, I'm going for maybe the most terrifying mascot in the entire world who belongs to Partick Thistle in Scotland. Mm. His name is Kingsley. And he has been described by some as the living embodiment of a nightmare. He is a <laughs> gigantic, spiky, yellow sort of sun kind of shape. I, I think it was like meant to be a sun, eyes. but it, it ended up looking like a, a virus. <laughs> it is absolutely and utterly terrifying. Like, I can't imagine anyone, you know, obviously the, the kids who support the Jags must be down there being like, oh, let's go, you know, let's let's go we'll meet the mascot. Absolutely not. Your kids ain't sleeping for weeks if you meet Kingsley. He is terrifying, but he's taken on a bit of a life of his own. I believe he was a design from um, like a local school child. But the design is, you know, well, this school child, I think probably needs to be exercised or something. It's like Damien from the moment <laughs> because Kingsley is absolutely and utterly petrifying he is a real scary dude but he's right up there because i imagine their opposition players when they're lining up you know they must be like what is that that must put them off so um yeah go with kingsley you know, I, don't, I, I feel like you can obviously open up the competition to school children and, and and have a community element to it but i do feel like you're also allowed to if presented with that allow for some artistic adaptation maybe just mm. take 20 percent of the evil out of it by changing the, the the facial expression or the eyebrows or something else yeah. i don't anything really if you don't know what kingsley looks like look him up and i guarantee you you're not gonna sleep for three days <laughs> so uh so that's that for you uh, and number one my favorite mascot in entirety of world football belongs to fc curl they have yes. a real goat a genuine billy goat. Their nickname is the Billy Goats. Uh, and they have a goat called Hennis. Well, it's not actually his full name. His actual name is Hennis the Ninth Ooh, because he is yeah. the ninth goat to appeal to, uh, to take this. I think it comes from the fact that the club were gifted a goat from a circus um, right. in sort of the, the 50s or 60s. And they named it after the manager who was called Hennis Weisweiler. Um, and since then, they've had nine goats who wander around on the pitch before the game. They have a nice little cologne jacket on the back and everyone goes absolutely mad for it. So it's pretty cool. It's getting yeah. cologne in here. They Very few people have live animals as mascots. So I think to actually for have... For good a, reason, yeah. 
Yeah, like a real a real animal is is, is pretty cool to be perfectly does, uh, honest with you. Um, Jack, does does the Palace and Benfica who have eagles are they are the eagles the mascots or do they have another like mascot? Or do they... No, so so I believe that um, I mean I'm, I'm I'm spitballing. I can talk about Palace. A Palace have a mascot, but they it is an eagle. But then they also sometimes fly an eagle around the pitch. Yeah, uh, Benfica fly an eagle around the pitch for every game. So do Lazio, right? Um, you know, there was that famous picture when they when they qualified the Champions League of Maurizio Sarri holding the, the eagle on his arm. I think it was actually mm. when they might have won the Rome Derby. So it was pretty cool, pretty cool stuff. But I don't believe that the live eagle is actually their mascot. Mm. Um, okay. But yeah. So yeah, Henders yeah. is a bit, a bit unique here. Yeah. I mean, I, I want to just give a, a kind of honorable mention to um, Hartlepool United, who have a, a monkey mascot called Hangus the Monkey. Uh, this spells from the fact that um, Hartlepool's nickname is the Monkey Hangers because during one of the wars, they hanged a monkey believing it was a German spy and everyone thought it was really funny. So they've been known as the Monkey Hangers ever since. But Hangus the Monkey was voted as the mayor of Hartlepool for a decade. <laughs> a decade. <laughs> the club mascot was the mayor of Hartlepool for a decade. <laughs> what is this? What is going on? That is, that's one up there for the... Um, yeah, for the one fantastic. Story. So there you go. There's my there's my mascot ranking from Love it. from around the world. But shouts out to Cologne and to Hennis the Ninth, who uh, tops the ranking for now. Uh, I'd love to hear your suggestions on that one. So get at me on Twitter if you've got anyone else that you think should be in consideration. And with that, I think it's probably time for us to call it a day here. And all that's left for me to do is say thank you very much to the rank god Sam Tai for a wonderful main ranking. Very really enjoyed that. Cheers, buddy. Thank you very much to our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. I've been Jack Collins, Neighbor of Hearts. This has been Ranks FC. Thank you so much for listening as ever. We really do appreciate you. And we will see you next week, gang. Next week, we're actually going to have a slightly different schedule. We're going to release a little bit earlier. We're going to release on the Tuesday morning because we're going to be doing a Europa League final preview, which we're very excited about. But it's on the Wednesday night, so we thought we'd give you a little bit more time to listen to it. So Ranks will drop 24 hours early next week in order to combat uh, the fact that we... Yeah, we'll only be we'll only be really relevant in 48 hours. That will uh, help things out a little bit. We'll see you then, gang. Take it easy. Peace. Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothies, and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is possibility. 
powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks. 